My name's Matt. As, as Jack said, I'm on staff here at Remedy. I'm the missions coordinator. And uh, thanks for being with us this morning. We're going we're gonna to do some work this morning out of James 2. Um, so we're going to be in James 2. If you have a Bible and don't know where it is, it's all the way to the very far right, almost at the very end. You can find it there. If you don't have a Bible, there are some blue ones in, under the seats in front of you. Feel free to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to keep this. It's our gift to you. Uh, if you do have a Bible and just need to borrow it, please leave it for somebody else so that they have an opportunity to have it. So before we, we just jump in here, uh, as you guys are looking up James 2, let me pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we, um, we come before you in humbleness this morning. We come before you to say that we can do no good things without you. We, we need you to help us understand the word. To, to open our ears, to soften our hearts, because our tendency, Lord, is to run away. And Lord, you want to pull us close. And so I pray that as I speak this morning, that you would get my words out of the way, that, that you would come through, that your voice would be heard, that as we read scripture, you would, you would come through clearly, Lord. We, uh, we can do nothing except through you, and it's only by your will that we are, we are saved and that, that we have our faith. So, Lord, we, we thank you for the blessing of Scripture, and I pray that as we talk through it today, you would be here and move among us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, James 2. We, we need to do just a little bit of work before we, before we jump into the text. And I, I actually have a couple warnings that I want to share with you. Um, the first one is when we, when we get to difficult passages like James 2 that, that are a little challenging, that James can be challenging in general and it, it has some, some things going on there, we need to look at other scripture to help clarify scripture. So we're, we're actually going to hit about five or six other books of the Bible today. We're going to be anchored in James 2, verses 14 through 26, but just be prepared. I'm going to jump around a lot and use a lot of other scripture references. Um, the second warning uh, didn't apply to first service, but it might to this one. Um, and it's actually a warning for me and for you. When, when Fudd and Jack asked me to preach, I was, I was really kind of taken aback by it. And, and I told my daughters that I was going to preach. And my youngest one, Ellie, she came to me and she says, Dad, you're, you're not going to go long, are you? And I said, well, I, I don't know why. And she goes, well, sometimes Fudd goes long and then Ben comes up and Ben is playing and playing and playing and playing. And she goes, I feel so bad for Ben. Please don't do that to Smap. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll try not to do that, but I can't promise anything. And you guys are second service, so we've got nowhere else to be than here. Um, as, we start to, as we start to look at James and as we start to jump in and really look where, what we're going to do in, in James 2, it's good to understand where James comes from a little bit. And I want to start this sermon by jumping all the way to the end. I want to go to the very end, and I'm going to give away the end of this sermon. And the end of it is, this is all about Christ. This is all about what Jesus has done on the cross. This is all about God's redeeming love. This is all about our need for a Savior. This is all about our sin and an inability to be reconciled to God except through him. And we have to keep that in focus as we go through this today because if we start anywhere else or if we fix our eyes anywhere else, then it becomes about us. And it's not about us. It's all about Christ. So as we talk through this today, and we're going to talk about three difficult topics. We're going to talk about faith, justification, and works and how they all relate to each other. 
as we talk about those, we have to remember, this is all about Christ. This is where it starts. This is where it's anchored. This is where it ends. And if we know nothing else, we need to know Jesus Christ, and we need to know him crucified first and foremost. That's, that's where we're going at the end. But remember that as we go through this entire thing, because that's what sets this all up. That's what the good news is. That's what God has done for us. So as we, as we dive into Scripture, remember this is the foundation of our faith is in Christ. Now the purpose of the book of James, it's a little bit interesting. Um, if, we, if we jump into the very first verse, I know we're going to be in two, but I want to read from verse one at the very beginning. It says, James, a servant of God and, the, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells us right away who's written the book, James. But there's some, some work that we need to do there. There are a lot of different James that this could be. Most theologians agree that it's probably James, the brother of the Lord, who wrote this. And we know, if we know anything of his life, we know that he uh, accepted Christ later in life. He was not one of the 12 original apostles. He's named as an apostle later by Paul in Acts, but we know that he came after Christ's crucifixion to be an apostle. If you read some of the old dead guys, Calvin, Spurgeon, Luther, Matthew, Henry, any of those, you'll find a whole bunch of different opinions as to who wrote James. Some say it was James, son of Zebedee. Some say it was James, son of Alphaeus. Most theologians agree it was James, the brother of Jesus. He's the only one that could have had the authority to write something like this. And if we know that, then it also puts into context when the book may have been written. We know that James was stoned in 62 A.D., so the book had to be written before that. And based on the language and, and what we see in here, it was probably written around the mid-40s A.D. And that's actually really important because that's the same time that Paul's on some of his missionary journeys. And one of the big challenges that we've had with this passage of Scripture in James 2 is that it doesn't seem to agree with Paul in some things. And we're going we're gonna to dive into that in a little bit. But at its heart, this book, the book of James, it's a very practical book. It's actually an admonition. It's a... a a correction, if you will. We also see in that very opening paragraph that it's addressed to the 12 tribes and the dispersion. In this, he's referring to the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the problem with that is, as we've read the Old Testament, we know the story of the tribes and where they came from and how they were broken up and how they divided the land and how they were separated into north and south and things like that. What we have to realize at the time that this was written The tribes have been conquered, they've been brought back together, they've been conquered again, they've been broken up, they've been spread out. So they exist through Syria and through what's Israel today and through through all of that area, and they're dispersed. They aren't together anymore. But James is writing to those that were in the 12 tribes, and he's writing specifically to Jewish Christians. So he's writing to people that know the Mosaic law, that have accepted Christ in the end. And that's really important for the language that he uses here. James is a very practical book. As you look through even even the title headings, We can see faith without works is dead, which we'll do today. Uh, Warning against worldliness, taming the tongue, boasting about tomorrow, hearing and doing the word. This is all about what we should do. This book is all about response. This book is all about Christ has sacrificed and died for us, and here's what we should do because of it. This book calls us to how we should live our lives as Christians. And so if we understand those things, that starts to put into context some of the more difficult passages that we'll, we'll work with. 
Now the other thing before I read this passage, we also have to remember 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In this passage we're going to read today, we actually see teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. We get it all in James. It's got it all. And that might be one of the reasons it's one of the more popular books in churches. It's referenced many, many times over and over in different churches and preached through many times because it is so practical, because it has good use of metaphors. It is easy to understand, but once you dig into it, it gets a little, a little murky. So let me read our text for today, and then we'll start, we'll start talking about it. It's James 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and he was counted to him as righteous, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead." Now, one of the challenges that we have here as we start to think about faith, justification, works is they're all interconnected, and we see this a lot in Scripture. This is all tied together. It's like a, it's like a shoelace that's all knotted up and that we can't, we can't get one clear thread out of it. It's not spelled out point by point for us, and this is a perfect passage to illustrate that. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about each of those three, but, but the, the reason that we do it that way is it's like loosening that knot. So as you're working on that knot of a shoestring and we pull one a little bit, something else comes loose and something else comes loose and suddenly we start opening it up a little bit and we see. So as we talk about faith, justification, works, realize they all relate to each other. They're all intertwined. They're all connected to each other. You can't talk about faith without talking about works and you can't talk about works without talking about justification. You can't talk about justification without talking about faith. They all they all go back and forth. So as we go through our, our three lessons that we can learn from James today, which is the subject for today, the three lessons we can learn, realize that they're all interconnected with one another as well. All right, so let's just get started with lesson number one. There's more than one type of faith. James actually shows us there, there are three types of faith illustrated here, and we can see them in the text. If we start at verse 17... So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And that's echoed again in 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. There's our first type of faith, dead faith. Faith that doesn't have works associated with it. And while we can say, okay, I understand that's dead faith, we need to understand how how big and how heavy that actually is. 
dead faith. Jesus came, met death in his grave, conquered death, and has given us eternal life with God. If we are dead, we are eternally separated from God. Dead faith is faith that is separated from God. Dead faith is faith that does not have breath. It does not have action. It does not have life. It does not have movement. So when we say dead faith, we're talking about something that's not just still. We're talking about something that's separated from God. And that's, that's really heavy as it sits on us and we start thinking about what type of faith do I have? The second type of faith that we see is in verse 19. Verse 19, it says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So if we, look at this, if we look at this verse in whole, this God is one at the start. This is a, a part of the Jewish Shema. It comes from Deuteronomy 6.4. And it's, it's a, a daily devotional that they use. So we think about who he's writing to again. The dispersed 12 tribes of Israel. What he's doing is he's pulling it into context to say, I know what I'm talking about. This is the word of God. You can say God is one. And even the demons believe that and shudder. When we think about that, we think the demons believe that Jesus is Lord. They know in their head Jesus is God. We jump to Matthew 8, verse 29, and and this verse comes right after Jesus has gotten in a boat with the disciples and they're sailing across the lake and the storm comes up and Jesus calms the storm. And they get to the other side of the lake and they approach a cave and Jesus has gone there because there are two demon-possessed men in this cave. And they're not letting anyone through. And Jesus arrives on the shore and these two demon-possessed men come out. And here's what it says. And behold, they cried out, the demon-possessed men, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before it's time? The demons look at Jesus and go, You're God. You are the Son of God. We acknowledge that. The demons believe in Jesus. The demons have faith. The difference is, they don't have any action to go with their faith. They're not able to act on that faith. They're not able to do anything with that faith. All they have is a head knowledge. So when we, when we stay in Scripture, when we puff ourselves up with head knowledge, when we don't have any action that goes along with it, we have a demonic faith. Even the demons believe. One commentator writes, it's not necessarily a saving experience to believe and tremble. That doesn't save us. Demons believe that. They're not saved. The third type of faith that we see is actually illustrated subtly in the verses 14 through 16 where he talks about, you know, what good is it if someone does not have works in association with their faith? Saving faith is faith that has works associated with it. So as we look and we see three types of faith, we have dead faith, we have demonic faith, and we have saving faith. And all three have a different different purpose. Or different, different definition, I guess I should say. Now, as we talk about faith, before we dive into where is your faith, we have to jump down to verse 24. And this, this is where it gets a little tough, because this is really about faith and what is saving and justification, things like this. And sometimes this statement is called the theological lightning rod of the book of James. And here's what verse 24 says. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, if we think what Paul has taught us in Romans, Romans 3.28, Paul says, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul says, you're justified by faith, not works of the law. James says, faith alone doesn't justify, you are justified by works. 
They seem to be in, in contradiction with one another. They're saying two different things. How do we reconcile them? Well, we have to stop, and, and the first thing that we have to do is talk about the truth of Scripture. All Scripture is breathed out by God. We heard that in 2 Timothy. All Scripture is perfect. All Scripture is the voice of God. All Scripture has to be perfect like God is perfect because it's him talking to us. God can't contradict himself. God can't say one thing and then say another that are in opposition to each other because he's perfect. It's impossible. So if we read this scripture, if we read James 2 and we read Romans 3 and we say those are contradicting, the problem has to be in our interpretation and our understanding and not in the word of God, which means we need to do a little bit of work to understand where these two come from. What a lot of people miss is at the end of that Romans statement, Paul actually says, you know, you are justified not by works of the law. And that's where we're going here. This is works of the law, written to the 12 dispersed tribes of Israel, people that know the law of Moses, people that understand I am saved if I do enough good things, God will like me. Here's what I have to follow to be accepted by God. We also have to understand that because it's written to the Jewish Christians, it's written to people that already believe. And so what we're getting are two different sides of the same coin here. Paul is saying, have faith and believe in Christ. He is calling us to Christ. James is saying, because you are in Christ, your response and obedience is to do good works, and you prove your faith by works. So they're not actually in contradiction to one another. They both complement each other because they're both pointing us back to the same place. They're both pointing us back to Christ. They're both coming back and saying, Paul says, focus on Christ. Have faith, faith alone, not works of the law that you think you can do it yourself. God doesn't need anything from you. He's perfect. There's nothing you can do that brings value to God. He never stops and goes, oh, I would do that, but I need, I need you to help me out here. That never happens. Paul is saying, have faith. It's not works of the law. And James is saying, you have faith. Prove your faith through works. Make sure it's not a dead faith. So once we understand that those two aren't in conflict, we can start to say, ah, this faith thing might make a little more sense. This works, I'm saved by works. What it does is it shows that my faith is real. Paul actually expresses this in Titus. Titus 1.16, he says, they, referring to the followers of the Mosaic law, these 12 tribes, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Even Paul comes out and says works are necessary. You got to do something in response. You have to respond to the message of Christ. You're doing one of two things. You either follow and are obedient and respond to the cross of Christ, or you run away from the cross of Christ. Inaction is the same as running away. We've heard this preached. Fudd's preached this. The cross of Christ demands a reaction. Matthew Henry says, for a man to have faith and to say he has faith are two different things. Just because we have faith means we have to do something. And Calvin goes on to say, it's faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. We have to have it. So James is telling us, talk is cheap. Talk is easy. It's easy to say you have faith. Are you doing anything about it? So what we have to do is, as we read this, what we need to be convicted by, we have to stop and say, what kind of faith do I have? Do I have a dead faith? 
Does my faith have any works associated with it? Does it lay there still separated from God? Do I have a demonic faith? Am I working to build myself up in knowledge just to fill my head, acknowledge Christ as Lord and do nothing about it? Or do I have a saving faith? Do I respond to my faith in some way, in obedience, how Christ has called us? We also have to look at this word justification. And this moves into our second point. Verse 24 uses the word justification, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And here's lesson number two that we learned. Lesson number one, there are three types of faith. There's more than one kind of faith. Lesson number two, justification before man reflects and models God's work in our lives and allows us to witness to others. There are two types of justification. Just like we talked that there's more than one kind of faith, we have to realize there's more than one type of justification here. One is justification before God. One is justification before man. Justification before God means God looks upon me and I am covered in the blood of his son and he sees me clean and holy as he sees Christ. I am justified before him. I am sinless and blameless based on my faith. Justified before man means my words can be backed up with actions. You can see what I'm saying by what I do. That's the justification before man. Matthew Henry says, Our persons are justified before God by faith, but our faith is justified before men by works. We start to see this ball a little bit again. We've talked about faith and how it ties into justification. Now we're bringing works back into it. They're all intertwined. You can't separate them. Thankfully, the Spirit gives James the words to illustrate this for us. And we go down to verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. And he was called a friend of God. Fast forward to verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? What if they didn't do those things? What if if Abraham had been given the instruction to sacrifice Isaac and he says, yes, God, I believe in you. You are my God. I have faith in you. I'm not going to do that. How would we look at the story of, of Abraham and Isaac? Would we say that Abraham has faith? We wouldn't. He's justified before man by his actions. If Rahab had received the spies and she says, God, I love you and I understand what you need to do here, and she let the spies go out on their own way and they were caught and the repercussions happened, would we say that Rahab had faith in God? We wouldn't. It's her works that justify her actions, and it's the works that justify their actions before us to reflect what God has done for us. This reflects and this witnesses what God is able to do. You know, I could tell you any kind of personal story about myself. I could tell you I'm the best violinist in all of Rock Hill, Charlotte. And you could come to me and say, Matt, I'm having a dinner party. My people, my my friends love classical music will you come and play and I say no I won't and you ask me over and over and you never hear me play how much will you believe that I am an amazing violinist you won't the same thing applies to faith I can profess Christ all day long and if you do not see my actions if my life is not changed 
if my actions are not changed because of what I say, you won't believe. So this justification before men gives us a way to witness to others, to show others our faith, to say believe in God. This is a changing experience, and it's absolutely necessary. I had one pastor some time ago in a sermon. He said, um, and it's always stuck with me, he said, if someone were to follow you around with a video camera for a week, like one of those hidden camera reality shows, you don't know what's there, and they just followed you around for a week and taped everything in your life, and somebody watched that, would anyone accuse you of being a Christian? Would anyone say, ah, I see they have faith? And that's what we have to stop and examine in ourselves. So not only do we have to look at what kind of faith do we have, but we need to look at and say, how am I justifying myself before men? Do my actions back up my words? And that justification is absolutely necessary. Through our actions, others should see love, kindness, compassion, mercy, self-control. All of those things that God has shown to us, we should reflect those to others. Lesson number three that we can learn from James. God prepared not only good works, but also our lives for those works. Works will be an outpouring of your faith. So if we, if we agree and we understand, saving faith has works, justification needs works, we have to stop and go, okay, tell me what good works are. Tell me what I can go do. Show me how I can demonstrate my faith. Show me how I can have saving faith. When Paul talks about these works, these works of the law, he's talking about you know, trying to earn salvation through works. James is talking about being obedient in works. Two different things. So this is about being obedient to God. Works are in response to faith. Works are to be a reflection of God's grace and love on us. Works are not from our own desires, but they're because we were loved and we want to respond in obedience. James is a book of response. Paul calls us, James responds. Normally, when I look up passages and commentaries, I only go for old dead guys because they're the best theologians. If you read the old dead guys, they have the most wisdom. But actually, a few weeks ago, Jack said something as he was preaching that was, was so spot on that I wrote it down. And so I'll quote Jack. Jack said, Jesus prepared good works, love Jesus, get busy. And I thought it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. This is correcting our backwards thinking because we fall into this trap so often. That's why, that's why this is included in Scripture because God knows the state of our hearts so he has to remind us over and over. But our, the state of our hearts want to say, I, I do blank so that you will love me. When it's, I am loved and I am saved, so I want to do whatever it is. We have to change that thinking. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's Paul talking about the call. You are saved through faith so that you can't boast. It's something God did in you. But it goes on to say, For we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's prepared these works for us. 
God already knows what works we should do. God has set it up so we have works that we can go do. So we have to figure out what do these works look like? Where, where do I start? How do I go out and do good works that I know will be obedient to God because I want to be obedient? We turn to Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Here's where it gets to works. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This goes right along with Jesus' own words to us from Mark 12. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your mind, body, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's where we start our good works. Others are more significant. Put others first. Do for others. Serve. Sacrifice. If we get to the point where we say, I'm most important, We're in a prideful situation. That's a prideful heart. We want to put others first. If we want to be obedient to the call of Christ, that's the first thing we do is count others more significant than ourselves. Put others first. We also have to start looking at what is is my life? Because if God's prepared good works for me, that means God has prepared me to do those good works. We have to look at What path has God laid out? What experiences has God given me in my life that have equipped me to do these good works that he's laid out for me? And if I think of my own life, and I paint in just really broad broad strokes here, if I think of my own life in the major headings, I can say, I'm a transplant to Rock Hill. I've lived on the West Coast. I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in countries around the world, but I'm a transplant here. I have experiences in my life that I can use in coming here and not being a native of South Carolina to minister to other people, to serve other people. I was in the military for five years. I was in the Navy. That's an experience God has given me. I'm divorced. I'm remarried. I have two kids. I'm a dad. And I came to Christ later in life. These are all big things that God has set up for me so that I can use those as gifts to other people. So when we think about serving others and we say, where do I start serving others? Think about your life. What has God prepared you to do? What are those things that he has given you? Sometimes they're great blessings. Sometimes they're trials. Sometimes they're hard. But God's given those to you. How do you redeem those things for him, for the kingdom? Because this is about God's glory, not yours. And God's given these to you as a gift. And we have to stop and ask, where do I do these things? Right here. God has, God has preordained, predestined for you to be right here, right now, in this church, in this community, with your community group, in your family, with these friends. He has placed you here. This is where your good works are. If God's laid this all out for you, he has you exactly where he wants you. He's given you the experiences. He's prepared the good works for you. And he has you right where he wants you. This is where you do your good works and where you find out what your good works are. One of my challenges as I started 
going through this and I have to look at my life and what my experiences are, we have to realize works aren't always going to be comfortable to us. Works aren't always going to be easy. God's not always going to make it simple for us because my sanctification still comes into it as well. There are more things that God needs to refine in me before I'm anywhere near perfect in that day of glorification. So I think about works, and I can give you a a story. A a couple months ago, my wife signed us up to serve in Remedy Kids. And I I found out about this about the week before I was supposed to go serve. Um, And so so it was a bit of a surprise. She goes, I'm going to teach. You could help me, but I signed us up. I go, okay, Um, this is new. Um, The problem is, it's not that I don't like kids. I like kids. The problem is, you never know what they're going to say. They're just kind of weird. I have this control thing going on, and so I want to know what's coming, what they're going to say, how to react, and they throw me out of my zone. But I stop and I go, you know what? I'm a parent. I've raised kids. I know some scripture. I'm not great at it. I can teach somewhat. Kids aren't all that hard. God's prepared me for that. Was it comfortable? Heavens, no. But it's been great. It's been great to serve down there. These are the things that God has prepared you for. And so you have to look at those opportunities to say, where can I serve based on what God's given to me? What are those opportunities? So we start here. What are the opportunities in our church? What are the opportunities in our community group, in our families to serve? You look at your life. You look at how God's prepared you. You look at your current circumstances. You look at what's around you and you find where your good works are. That's where it starts. So if you, look at, if you look at current situations, what do good works look like if you're a college student? What do good works look like if you're a parent or a stay-at-home mom? What do good works look like if you're a working professional? What do good works look like if you're in middle school or high school? What do good works look like if you're divorced? What do good works look like if you've been abused or have trauma in your past? What do good works look like if you're older or more seasoned in life and you have more experiences than other people? What do good works look like if you're financially well-off and secure? What do good works look like if you're not well-off and you're struggling financially? All of those places are opportunities for us to serve other people. All of those have experiences for us to go out and serve others based on what God's given to us. And we can redeem those hard, difficult, messy situations because it's God in us working with us. It's God that's prepared that for us. He's laid it out there. So if you need a place to start with good works, look around your church. Look around at the volunteers that are here that are doing good works right now. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Look at those people that are following Christ right now. The worship band, they don't have to be here. They're not required to be here. The worship band is here because they love Jesus. They have been loved by Jesus and they want you to worship Jesus and they want to serve you. So they get up early on their Sunday mornings, they sacrifice their practice time, they come in here, they set up, they work during the week to serve you. It's not something they have to do. That's out of love, that's good works. Remedy Kids, is good works. People volunteer down there so that you can come up here as a parent and have a chance to worship, to hear the word of God preached, to be sanctified, 
to hear God's voice speak to you. They don't have to be down there. Nobody has to volunteer for Remedy Kids. And if you've been around kids at all or you're a parent, trust me, it's not that hard. You can do it. Greeters. We have greeters at the front door. They don't have to be here to hand out cards and welcome you. When you come to church and you walk in the door, are you waiting for someone to greet you or are you looking to greet someone else? Are you waiting to be served or are you looking to serve someone else? How can you serve? It doesn't take a lot of experience to be a greeter. There's no no list of skills, no background screening. Anybody can be a greeter. You can find places to serve. So it's simple. Walk with God. Be obedient to Christ. Remember where we started this whole thing? This is all about Christ. This is all about what he's done for us. Knowing Jesus Christ and him crucified. And because of that, we respond. Paul has called us in faith to say, here's how you respond. James says, do good works to respond in your faith. Before I turn it back over to Stephen for us to worship, um, I, I would be negligent if I didn't include this part in the sermon. And that is, what happens if we don't do good works? What happens if we don't have saving faith? What happens if we are not justified? And I'll read from John 15, verses 1 through 8. It says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. That's him talking about preparing us for more good works. If we are doing good works, he's going to refine us so we can do more. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Here it is. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Those are Jesus' words. These are the words of God. Bear much fruit, glorify God, Prove to be my disciples. Faith, justification, works. All wrapped up right there. God is glorified by your works and prove that you are his disciples. Do you remember the, the parable of the fig tree that Fudd preached through a couple months ago? Huge fig tree that Jesus comes across, full of leaves, no fruit on it. What happens? It's cursed. It dies. That's what we're talking about here. So as we look at what is our faith, what are our works, what's our justification, That's the warning. So if you're a believer and you're here today, just like James is pleading for your souls, I'm begging. Have good works. Have saving faith. Justify your faith before men. Do good works because that's what saves altogether. If you're not a believer, don't start with works. That's a slippery slope that gets you into that. Because I do, I am loved. If you're not a believer, have faith. That's what Paul calls us to. Have faith. Believe. If you have questions about that, come find me after the service. Talk to the person you came with. 
find somebody else here to talk to, we'll be happy to pray with you. But come find me if you're feeling that call of Christ. I'll close with one quote, one more old dead guy, possibly my favorite old dead guy, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says, For faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. So be obedient to God. Do good works. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you would put this admonishment into James's mouth to share with us. Lord, I thank you that, that you are our God, that you are bigger than all of our troubles. Lord, I thank you that you love us. I thank you for Christ. I thank you for the sacrifice that was made. I thank you that you have atoned for my sins and paid that ultimate price. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be softened, that we would become the hands and feet and do good works because of what we hear. Lord, I pray that we would respond in obedience more than anything else. Lord, I pray that you would continue to press on our hearts that our works don't save us. But at the same time, they do. We can't be saved by doing things. We're saved by faith. But Lord, we show our, we're saved by those works in response to our faith. So Lord, be with us. Continue to convict us. Open our hearts, soften our hearts, and let us be obedient to where you call us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.